Good morning. I am Pastor Mike, and I am so grateful y'all made it this rainy day. We are going to be continuing, actually, we're going to be ending our series, The Art Of, where we've been exploring some key spiritual disciplines of the Christian life and impairing the practice of those disciplines with some awesome artistic expressions from some very talented members of our community, including today from Carissa, who, and I quote, will be arranging a plant centerpiece. Who knows what that is? I do not because I don't have her skills, her gifts, or spiritual abilities. So everyone applause, Krista, for sharing her gift with us today. As we've said many times in this series, we are doing this just to highlight the many different ways that things like worship and spiritual practice can, can take, the forms, the diverse expressions. So she is awesome. I also want to introduce one other person, and that is going to be the person who will be giving our sermon today. And that is one Rory Dunbar. Come on up, Rory. For those who do not know, Rory Dunbar is a dear friend of mine, but more importantly for why she's going to be given a microphone today, uh, is that she's a wise council member here, which is one of our elders. Uh, she is an awesome member of our community. She's been here for so long. She'll be able to introduce herself in a little bit more. Come on up, come on, come on, come on. Uh, and what makes her tick and what she wants to share today. But she's going to be talking about the gift of hospitality. So before we go any further, I would like to pray for Rory, and then we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for breath. Above all, we thank you for just an opportunity to gather and to worship and to hear your word. I pray that you would give us the ears to hear and the hearts that are open to receive the message that you've placed on Rory's heart and that those words would move us both to action where it's needed, to reflection, and above all, to change, if that is what you call us to do. We love you, we thank you, and we look forward to what Rory has to say. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that wonderful introduction, Mike. Um, so, as Mike said, my name is Rory. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. And as, again, Mike said, we are in week four, the last week of the Art of series. Uh, last week, uh, Mike talked about the art of storytelling, and this week I will be talking about the art of hospitality. So a little bit about me. I'm a nerd. I'm a feminist. I am the mother of three cats. Their names are uh, Lady Violet. She's the black one. Uh, the tabby is royal purple. And the one on top is Mr. Phlox. Uh, here at E3, I serve on Wise Council. I, I lead uh, True Color, E3's diversity, inclusion, and justice ministry with Pastor Mike. And for some reason, some reason, the powers that be have asked me to deliver today's message. All I have to say is hold on to your butts. <laughs> so I mentioned that I'm a nerd. About 13 years ago, I went to my first comic book convention, or Comic-Con. I was a baby nerd then. I liked Harry Potter, and I grew up watching Star Trek and Star Wars. I'd read a few comic books, but I was a novice when it came to nerd culture, fandom, and cosplay. And if you don't know what any of those words I just said mean, feel free to see me after the service. Uh, my friend Christy had gone to a convention the year before, and it looked like fun, so I asked if I could tag along. So Dragon Con is a pop culture convention that takes place every year on Labor Day weekend. People of all colors and cultures and ideologies converge on downtown Atlanta for a weekend of panels, costumes, and nerdy fun. Within five minutes of being at my first con, I knew 
One, that I wanted to come back every year for the rest of my life, and two, that I was home. Everywhere we met, people I'd never met told me my costume was awesome and asked to take my picture. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Uh, they didn't think it was at all weird that a 30-something-year-old woman was dressed up as Lieutenant Uhura. I instantly felt connected to complete strangers, folks I might not otherwise get along or agree with because they loved the thing I loved. Strangers wished me a good convention and nobody treated me like the outsider I felt I was. People I never met risked their lives to, help to let me onto an overcrowded elevator at the Marriott Hotel. And we bonded over the fact that the elevators took forever and sometimes you have to go up to go down. Saying yes to that convention in 2012 was life-changing in the best possible way and truly one of the greatest decisions I have ever made. You see, when I was growing up, it wasn't cool to like sci-fi and fantasy. It wasn't cool for grown-up adult humans to dress in costumes. It wasn't cool to be a nerd. So it isn't surprising that nerds have created spaces like conventions all over the world where everyone can belong, even a baby nerd like me. For, so for those of you who've been around E3 for a minute, it will not surprise you that I'm the person talking about hospitality. See, in another ministry life, I served as the leader for E3's hospitality ministry. I made coffee, I greeted, I answered questions at the welcome booth. If it was hospitality related, I did it. All of it, many Sundays, at every service. <laughs> so today we'll be spending some time in the Gospel of Luke, which is my favorite of the Gospels. I'm not 100% sure why, but maybe it's because Luke is much more woo-woo than the other Gospels. And as someone who likes to think of herself as somewhat of a mystic, I'm super into that. So in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and we'll be reading the Rory International Version of the Bible, we get the story of Martha and Mary. So Jesus and his homeboys are traveling, and they stop at a village where the sisters live. Martha's like, oh, snap, Jesus is coming. I need to get this house ready for him. And Mary's like, oh, snap, Jesus is here. I need to sit at his feet and hang out with him. Sidebar. I once heard a very well-known pastor at a very well-known church pray before a sermon on Martha and Mary that, and I'm quoting here, we would have the heart of Mary who sat at the Lord Jesus' feet, that we'd be humble, submissive, teachable, and available. God, for those of us who have Martha proclivities, I pray we wouldn't check our phone. I pray we wouldn't be working on our to-do list. May we examine Mary and Martha. May we have Mary's heart and as we sit at your feet to concentrate for a bit. For, for a bit. And obviously, as a person with Martha proclivities, as he put it, I was angry with rage. Like, do you not get that one, in the ancient world, showing hospitality, super culturally important, and two, literally nothing, and I mean nothing, would get done without people like Martha. Amen. People who plan and organize and make to-do lists and set up and tear down. You can't be hospitable without someone doing all of the things but I digress. So let's get back to Martha and Mary. Martha is working her fingers to the bone and Mary is chilling with Jesus, letting her sister do all the work. And Martha is ticked. And y'all, I feel that. So Martha turns to Jesus and she's like, yo, Jesus, you think you could make my sister come and help me because there's so much work to do on, on, on account of, you know, you. And Jesus, I'm sure kindly, but also infuriatingly says in verses 41 through 42, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, 
or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. What? Why? Jesus, why? And like, I get it. Mary is the picture of being present, being mindful, pausing from doing and spending time with Jesus or whatever. But why is Martha vilified and left invalidated for also doing a really good thing, a sacred thing? I unironically and unashamedly love this story. I literally have a tattoo of Martha, Mary, and Jesus on my arm. I'm somewhat famous, or you could say infamous, for saying that Martha is my patron saint, the patron saint of getting stuff done. For a people-pleasing planner and recovering hospitality ministry leader like me, Martha is my soul sister. The story of Martha and Mary shows us a picture of what we typically think about when we think about hospitality. But what if Jesus holds a broader vision of hospitality than we do? There's this parable found in Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24, that I think really illustrates this broader idea of hospitality. So let's get into it. So when one of the dinner guests heard Jesus' remarks, he said to Jesus, happy are those who will feast in God's kingdom. And Jesus replied, a certain man hosted a large dinner and invited many people. When it was time for the dinner to begin, he sent his servant to tell the invited guests, come, the dinner is now ready. One by one, they all began to make excuses. The first one told him, I bought a farm and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I bought five teams of oxen and I'm going to check on them. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come, which I love the honesty there. He's like, I'm married, I can't do this. Um, when he returned, the servant reported these excuses to his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the city streets, the busy ones and the side streets, and bring the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. The servant said, master, your instructions have been followed and there is still room. The master said to the servant, go to the highways and back alleys and urge people to come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will taste my dinner. So Jesus tells this parable while he's a dinner guest at someone's home on the Sabbath. He saw the way the other guests were behaving, clamoring for the best seats at the table and thought, now here's a teachable moment. You see, in the ancient world, a large dinner was no quaint little supper party. It was an elaborate affair. It was de designed to impress guests with its extravagance and elegance. The dining room would have been the picture of opulence, decorated with all manner of finery. And the food, the host would have spared no expense serving their guests, serving multiple courses of the richest cuisine intended not only to satiate their guests' hunger, but to be a feast for all of their senses. In the guest list, it would have included the host's family and friends, but also the upper echelons of society. You see, this party was meant to spoil its guests and be the talk of the town. So for the host in the parable to flip the script and extend the invite to the poor, crippled, blind, and lame when the original recipients of the invitation bailed, that's kind of a big deal. You see, when you have the means to throw a party like that, you're not trying to lavish it on a group of nobodies. You're not trying to impress the poor. And therein lies the point. See, the focus of this parable isn't about who rejected the invitation. It's about those who accepted it. Part of what this scripture shows, shows us is that the guest list for God's kingdom looks different than we might imagine. And some of us believe that God's kingdom should be populated with people who look like us, people who have the same political affiliation as us, people who believe the same things and in the same way that we do. But I believe this text is telling us that God's kingdom includes the ones that perhaps 
society has cast off. The so-called honor guests, the ones who have it together, the ones who find themselves with all the power and all the status, they all had better things to do than attend the feast. But the ones who have been kept out of the halls of power, the ones whose society has rejected, perhaps they realize what a sweet deal the divine child of God is offering us. The marginalized know what it's like to be kept out. So when the doors of that banquet hall are flung wide open, they waste no time in pulling up to that table. Those the world has deemed unworthy, they're the ones that God has called honored guests. The queer folks, the women, people of color, the disabled, the immigrant, the poor, the transgender person, the drag queens. In God's kingdom, they cannot be prayed away. In God's kingdom, they cannot be legislated away because her kingdom was meant to include these dear ones. We are meant to include these dear ones. So hospitality isn't just about creating a welcoming space though. It's about being a welcoming space. Embodying hospitality means that people feel welcome, at ease, safe, accepted, valued, and honored when they are with you. They feel they can be their authentic selves because you are your authentic self. They don't feel judged, they feel like they belong. Another word for this welcome and belonging is inclusion. Now, I recognize that the word inclusion can be a charged word, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but for the purposes of our conversation today, I think it's an appropriate word to use. Inclusion is the practice or policy of providing equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might, who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized, such as those who have physical or intellectual disabilities and members of other minority groups. Put another way, inclusion is the purposeful practice of fully welcoming and fostering the belonging and acceptance of people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized. An inclusive organization not only treats all individuals fairly and respectfully, but also actively values and centers their distinctive experiences, perspectives, and culture. An inclusive church ensures that those from minority backgrounds are both welcomed and empowered to participate fully in the life of the church. But this work isn't just the responsibility of the church, y'all. I think it's the responsibility of all of us who are trying, however fitfully and falteringly, to follow Jesus. It's not enough to say that everyone is welcome and call that hospitality without each of us individually embodying hospitality and actively fostering welcome, welcome, belonging, and inclusion for everyone who comes through our church doors and into our lives. Being more inclusive is a way to extend the hospitality that God has gifted to us through Jesus to others. In John 15, 12, Jesus tells us to love one another as I have loved you. Now being inclusive is how we love the one another's, the stranger, the, the ones that feel excluded and unseen everywhere else in the world. If we as Jesus people don't seek to be more inclusive of those on the margins, how can we honestly claim to represent the God of the marginalized and the oppressed? If people of color, people in the LGBTQ plus community, poor people, disabled people don't feel like they, their experiences, their stories are heard, valued, and centered in our community, how can we say that we're being hospitable? If marginalized people don't feel like they have access to the full life of our church, how is that welcoming? Removing unnecessary boundaries to people being able to integrate into this community is key. Not expecting people to assimilate to E3's culture, but expanding our culture to include others, that creates a sense of belonging. Now, I know hospitality is a tough pill to swallow. It takes time, effort, and energy. It means temporarily setting yourself aside and focusing on the person in front of you, their needs, their feelings. 
It means making someone else feel welcome in your space. It means embodying the spirit of welcoming, welcome and belonging for them. So 10 years ago, I took my nerdiness, my feminism, and my faith, and along with some of my dearest friends, we created the Heretical Feminist Book Club. This was during a time when a lot of us didn't feel like we belonged in the church. Our desire for justice in the world and our belief in the strength and power and all-around awesomeness of women and other marginalized people seemed to be at odds with what the church was teaching. The church wasn't interested in hearing from a bunch of rebellious women and people of color. So we started a book club where we read books by marginalized people. Uh, we drank wine, preferably red, and we tried to solve the world's problems. We created our own space where people could share their beliefs, however heretical they might be, their experiences, and their opinions. And they could do so while enjoying yummy snacks. The first book we read was Pastrix, The Cranky, Beautiful Faith of a Sinner and Saint by the Reverend Nadia Boltz Weber. Nadia, because we're totally on a first name basis, is a tattooed, cussing Lutheran pastor from Colorado. She founded House for All Sinners and Saints, and this is a quote from their website here, a group of folks figuring out how to be a liturgical, Christocentric, social justice-oriented, and queer-inclusive, incarnational, contemplative, irreverent, ancient future church with progressive but deeply rooted theological imagination. And honestly, to me, that sounds like the kingdom of God. That sounds like heaven. In Pastrix, Pastor Nadia says, this desire to learn what faith is from those who have lived it in the face of being told they are not welcome or worthy is far more than inclusion. Actually, inclusion isn't the right word at all because it sounds like in our niceness and virtue, we are allowing them to join us, like we are judging another group of people to be worthy of inclusion in a tent that we don't own. I can only look at the seemingly limited space under the tent and think either it's my job to change the people so they fit or it's my job to extend the roof so they fit. Either way, it's misguided because it's not my tent. It's God's tent. The wideness of the tent of the Lord is my concern insofar as it points to the gracious nature of a loving God who became flesh and entered into our humanity. The wideness of the tent is my concern only insofar as it points to the great mercy and love of a God who welcomes us all as friends. Amen, Nadia. Amen. You see, the wideness of the tent isn't dependent on our niceness, our virtue, or our ability to include the excluded. It's based on the hospitality, grace, mercy, and love of a God who calls all to come enter and asks that we would do the same. You see, talking about all of this is personal for me. There was a time in the not-so-distant past when I didn't feel welcome in this community. I didn't feel like I belonged. Maybe it was because of my politics, the color of my skin, the, fa the fact that I fundamentally, fundamentally experienced the world, world differently than a majority of the people in this community. I felt like who I was didn't fit in with the culture here, and the culture wasn't willing to embrace me. I felt the pressure to assimilate, that to be accepted here, I had to be less of who I am, maybe be a little less vocal about the things that mattered most to someone like me. And this is after having served and been a part of this community for over a decade. It was a terrible feeling realizing that the community that I'd poured so much of my life, time, and energy into would rather lose me as a member than risk offending someone else. To feel like I was expendable. No one should feel like that, and certainly not in a church where hospitality is a value. I don't want anyone to come to E3 and feel that way ever again, to feel like they are disposable and that they don't matter. 
I don't want anyone to feel like they have to be less of who they are to belong in this community. Friends, this tent is big enough for all of us. It's us who have small minds and small imaginations. We're the ones who try to gatekeep the kingdom of God. You know, I wish the church was a little more like Dragon Con or the Heretical Feminist Book Club. That our love for God, our shared faith would connect us and that strangers would come into contact with us and immediately feel at home. That, they would be a, that we would be a safe space for all people to be all that they are. That we would continue to grow and make room for the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And that our culture would expand to include those that the world has discarded and shut out. That's my dream. Y'all, hospitality isn't just about being kind to guests who come to your church or your home, offering them food and a beverage and a place to kick up their feet and relax. It's more than being a good host, though that's super important and good. Hospitality and inclusivity are inseparable. Being inclusive, accepting and welcoming the poor, crippled, blind, and lame, the brown, the queer, and the immigrant, honoring their experiences and perspectives and making space for them in our community and in our lives, that is the art of hospitality. And that's how we live God's kingdom here on earth. In closing, I want us to think about these two questions. How can E3 become a more inclusive place? And how can each of us embody a spirit of inclusivity, belonging, and welcome. Let's pray. God, our Divine Mother, I pray that we would be a people of immense hospitality, that we would seek to include all those who find themselves marginalized by this world, that we would be the enemy of exclusive places, that we would fling wide our physical doors and the doors of our hearts and welcome all to the great banquet. For this kingdom is not ours, it doesn't look the way we want it to look, and it isn't made in our image. It is yours. May we go to the highways and back alleys and urge people to come in so that your house will be filled. Amen.